Wow, amen to that, huh? Man. Well, I thought I might break out, and it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, uh, Aaron. Uh, and wow, I, would that not be a cool thing to be in one of those countries when those boxes, kids are opening those boxes? Oh, man, that, that would be unbelievable. But boy, yeah, what an opportunity we have to be part of that. And it's not just about those gifts. I mean, it's about the gift of the gospel. And that's what's behind all of that. And I trust that you'll uh, ask God, begin to, you know, save and pack those boxes and look for the sales. Ollie's is a great place, folks. <laughs> and I don't even know anybody that works there. So that's free advertising, right? But what a, that's a great place to, to fill a box. Um, so this morning, we're going to look at one of the most difficult and controversial sections of 1 Corinthians that there is. Uh, really, one of the, I think, even most difficult texts throughout the New Testament. Um, it is, of course, another corrective passage. And uh, 1 Corinthians, we've got to remember every time we open the book, and especially today, because this is a, this is a hard text, that 1 Corinthians is an occasional letter, which means that it was written to a specific group of people for a specific occasion. That's what we mean, occasion. We don't mean occasional once in a while, but for a specific group of people at a specific time about a specific issue. And so as we look at that this morning, that will become very clear to you. But it is also critical that we understand because it is an occasional book, it means that we're going to have to understand what was going on in Corinth at, time, at that time. Uh, if we're going to get any idea of what Paul is talking about to the church, to the believers, we'll need to understand the specifics of the culture in the city of Corinth. Otherwise, this just won't make sense. And that's a critical part of this. I, I came across a, a verse of scripture this week in my study that I had, I'll say I'd never seen it before, or at least I don't, I'll, maybe I should say I'll never remember it, because I remember in Bible college, we had to read through the whole Bible. And I have read through the whole Bible many times since that, but um, I just don't remember this text. And in Second Peter chapter 3, and verses 15 and 16, this is what Peter says. Now um, <clears throat> he's talking about uh, the patience of the Lord and the coming of Christ and salvation. Verse 15, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. And, and get this, <laughs> his letters contain some things that are hard to understand. <laughs> Peter's saying that <laughs> about what Paul's writing. Uh, I've, I, never, I, I don't remember that, but there it is. Which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Paul, Peter says Paul's letters contain some things that are hard to understand, folks. Today's one of those places. 
Today's one of those passages of scripture. It's hard to understand and we're going to do our best. And uh, as always in studying through this, it's like, okay, God, this is where I am now, but I may not be there next week. Who knows? But this is what uh, I think as we look at these verses. So First um, Corinthians chapter 11, we begin chapter 11. Scott referred to uh, spiritual gifts we're going to get to by the 29th, so that's chapter 12. So we have a few weeks left in chapter 11 here. But verse 2 through 16, I'd like to read if you'll just follow along as I read. Paul says, chapter 11, verse 2 of 1 Corinthians, I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the traditions just as I pass them on to you. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. A man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. It is for this reason that the woman ought to have authority over her own head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord... Woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. Verse 13, judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, is a disgrace to him? But that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. Now, probably you have an understanding of why I said this is a difficult text. How many ladies have uh, head coverings on or hats this morning? Man, we got a bunch of sinners. <laughs> Ladies, I'm sorry, but did you just read what we read? Uh, come on, what's going on here? We got a problem. I don't know if that's church discipline worthy, but uh, man, oh man. But see, you say, how do we know? I mean, we don't wear hats. We don't have head coverings. Now, some do these days, right? If you've been down to Lancaster area, you know that. And on Sundays, the, they do it all the time, but certainly on Sundays, the Mennonites, the Amish. And, and if you saw on the uh, Operation Christmas Child video, it would have probably been in Africa, maybe in Chad, uh, I think. But uh, uh, those women in their church service all had hats or head coverings on. And here's the basis for that. So ladies, we have a lot to learn from our brothers and sisters around the world, right? So let's dig into this. Um, as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 13 really is what's going on. 
And, and that's when Paul, he goes through, he's laying it all out. He's, he's sharing with the church in Corinth what he wants to say. He gets to verse 13. After all that he said, judge for yourselves. Here's the issue. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? That's the issue Paul is dealing with. So ladies, where's your hat? Right? I, I actually told... Um, uh, Scott and Paul earlier this week, I was going to get out of my collection of baseball hats and give them to Jane and Diane and Haley and, and, uh, and Stephanie and, and have them all sit here with baseball caps on and just have you all wonder what in the world are they doing. And, uh, but, but as we think about that, th this is what's going on. Should ladies have to wear hats or head coverings in a worship service? That's what's going on. That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about praying out in the street. We're not talking about privacy of your own home. We're talking about a worship service for God's people are gathered together. And that's the issue at hand. Should ladies wear hats or head coverings when they're in that worship service here on Sunday morning at 930? And or is it just a cultural thing? And how do we know if it is? You see, that's one of the big questions people are asking today. When we begin to talk about all of the issues that we could, could make a list a mile long that are being dealt with in our culture and that the church many times is at odds in, in where they stand in those issues, how do we know what's cultural, what was for that day, what was just for the first century church in Corinth, or what also applies to the 2021 church at Heritage? Can you answer that question? Because if we don't know how to answer that question, we're going to have difficulty. Because if we conclude here that head coverings, and you old ladies are probably well saying, man, I hope that I haven't been doing wrong all these years. Now, some of you ladies are old enough, and no offense, so am I as a man to remember when many times ladies wore hats in church. Sometimes it was around Easter time, but it was often. I can think back to my elementary, junior high, high school days when, when ladies wore hats. It's just what they did. Now that was part of the culture too, but here we are today and, and that's a little bit different. So how do we answer that question? Is it a cultural thing or is it still true and necessary for God's people today? Well, that's what we're going to answer because that's a big deal. If we conclude that head coverings are not for today, that it was just a cultural thing, how do we answer the person that says, well, listen, you guys take a stand against homosexuality. How do you know that that's just not a cultural thing? Can you answer that question? We're going to get into speaking in tongues in a few weeks as we get into chapter 12 and miracles. And how do you say that's just not, a, how do we know that's just not a cultural thing? Can you answer that question? How do you know? What's the difference? We better be able to know how to handle the word of God, folks. We better be able to explain the difference in how we arrive at answers, how we come to those conclusions. So that's one of my goals today. I hope that we're going to be able to get to that. So look at verse 2. I, Paul says, I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the traditions just as I passed on to you. Now he talks about... He's praising them. He's lifting them up. He's giving them a real good shot in the arm. Hey, I praise you for remembering. 
the traditions. Well, we're not talking about family tradition, Christmas traditions, church traditions. We're talking about uh, biblical truth, foundational truths that Paul has already been teaching the believers in Corinth and throughout the Roman Empire. And so we're talking about biblical truth. And uh, that's it, not just the traditional things that we all hold to. Verse 3, but I praise you for remembering, but it's kind of like, all right, Paul, we've kind of felt like that other shoe was going to drop, right? But I want you to realize, verse 3, that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is man and the head of Christ is God. Now we're getting into some uncomfortable stuff at least for our world today, our culture, right? They don't like to hear, and the head of every woman is man. That's not a politically correct thing to talk about these days. That's not a popular thing to talk about when you're with your unsaved neighbors, sometimes with your saved neighbors, I, I don't know. But as we talk about this, what, what in the world, adding to the controversy, is Paul teaching on the foundational truths of the role of the husband and wife in marriage? And many times at a Christian marriage ceremony, there, there are things that are said there that are not said in a marriage ceremony of two unbelievers. Why? Because it's not in keeping with what Scripture says. This, this whole business of till death do you part or that the husband is the, or the, the head of the woman is man. Wow. And head here means authority or leadership. And we'll see that in the rest of the context. The head of every man is Christ. Every male human being. Gentlemen, God, Jesus Christ is your head. He's the head of the church. And this is what Paul says. But then he says the head of the woman is man. Now, as we look through a number of times, we see woman and man in this text. And, and it's the same word for woman and man as husband and wife, all right? And, and we could look in other places and, and we could go right to Ephesians chapter 5. And we would read in verse 25, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. And when it says husband there and wife in chapter 23, excuse me, of Ephesians 5, or verse 23 of Ephesians 5, it's the same words as here that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 11. So the only way we know the difference is if it should be translated man or woman or husband or wife is reading the context. And as we get the context here, it is clear that it is husband and wife, not just man and woman. And so as Paul says, the head of the woman is man. The context would determine that the head of the wife is the husband. Now that's what the Bible teaches. The leader of the wife is the husband, which means she is in submission to his authority. Now, that's where we get uncomfortable. And, and, and women outside of the church are like, whoa, you got to be kidding me. Can you imagine what they do on this with, on the view with this passage? <laughs> right? Whoa. I mean, it, they would have, uh, they, boy, they'd be ranting and raving like crazy. The only time I see that show is when I'm sitting in a doctor's office, I think. Um, but, and it seems like every time I go, it doesn't matter what time of day it's on, I, I, I don't get that, but 
but here we go. So equal, however, let me explain it. And the anger and the emotion and the energy comes because of a complete and total misunderstanding of what God's word teaches. Ladies, when you understand what Paul is saying, what God is saying, men, when you understand your responsibility to lead your wife, and that's what this means, the loving leadership of the husband over the woman, we're talking, you see, right away, the world assumes inferiority for the woman. That's a bunch of baloney. Or as they say in Iowa, hogwash. All right? No, not at all. Because the idea of that is that men and women are equal in position and value before God. And do you realize that it is our faith and the truth of the word of God that when that is around the country accepted as truth, women are lifted up in that culture? When God and his word are not present, women are devalued around the world. That's absolutely true. So we understand here, as Paul says, that equal in position and value, but different in role and responsibility. Just like on a team, you pick the team, you pick the sport. We just saw the Olympics finishing up and every sport imaginable. And many of those sport, there's a leader. Does that mean they're better than everybody else on that team? No. It means they're the, they have a different role and responsibility to lead that team. Sometimes the non-leaders are better athletes than the leader. But the leader is the one who takes the team forward, moves the team, has a different role, different responsibility. That's what Paul's talking about. The head of Christ is God, he says. Paul is referring to the Trinity. He's, that's what he's talking about. He says, the head of Christ is God. Now, he doesn't talk about the Holy Spirit here in this text, but that's what he's talking about when he says, the head of Christ is God. God is is three united yet distinct persons. Three united yet distinct persons, co-equal, co-eternal. The father, however, is the leader. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, I could just give you one. And, and, and Paul, or Jesus talked about it. The son was there to do the father's will. Do you remember the night before he went to the cross? Father, nevertheless, when he prayed that God, he would, wouldn't have to go to the cross. Father, not my will, but your will be done. That's the leadership that we're talking about. The husband and wife relationship should reflect the father-son relationship. That's what Paul is talking about. And even as you look back to chapter 11 and verse 1, we talked about that a couple of weeks now. But Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That's the same thing here. Because the head of every man is Christ. The head of the Father or the, of the Son is the Father. Verse 4, every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. Remember, we're talking about a public worship service. And Paul is saying, men, you ought not to have a head covering, a hat. And that would be for all different reasons. I don't see any men with hats on here, too. Now, you might. Oh, 
you know, you might. And that's, that, that is one of those, that's not the, that's not the same issue here. Okay, and so we have to remember, and, and as we go back to the Corinthian, the Roman men back in the Corinthian culture covered their heads during pagan religious ceremonies. But it wasn't a hat, it was they pulled their toga up over their head. I found online a picture of, of, of uh, Caesar Augustus. Here's exactly what that would have been. You see, he would have had a toga on and he would have pulled it up over his head as part of a, a, a pagan religious ceremony, but it indicated high social status or leadership. You see, uh, Caesar Augustus wanted everybody to know that he wasn't just the political leader, he was also the religious leader. And so he would pull that up and they would acknowledge, in fact, there are other uh, statues and, and all of that. If you were to go over to Greece or Rome and see, you'd see groups of men in a statue with Caesar Augustus in the middle. And he's only, the only one with the toga, the head covering pulled up. Why? Because he's in charge. And that's what he's saying. I'm in charge. That was the culture of the day, highlighting who they were as leaders and up in social status. So when Paul says to the men um, that every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, let me put it this way for you. Every man who prays with his physical head, the part of his anatomy or covered, then he goes on, he says, dishonors his head, his spiritual head, leader, which is Christ. So the head, same word, but being used in the context differently. The physical head, the part of our body, when that's covered as a man, Paul says, you are dishonoring your spiritual head, who is Christ, right? Paul already said that, the head of every man is Christ, that's what you're dishonoring your spiritual head by. Why? Because you're drawing attention to yourself socially and or in a leadership capacity. And, and rather than in a worship service where the attention is supposed to go to God. And so that's what Paul's talking about. He doesn't want the men drawing attention to themselves, putting emphasis on themselves or their status or their leadership, but ought to be focusing the attention of those in that worship gathering on Jesus Christ. The head of the church is Christ. Note the parallel, verse 5. Both men and women are talking here, are uh, about prophesying and praying during public worship gatherings. Verse 5, but every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. Wow, what in the world? Men, don't cover your head. Now he says, woman, everyone who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Same thing as the parallel before. Every woman who prays or prophesies with her physical, literal, the head on her shoulders, uncovered, dishonors her spiritual head. What did Paul say who that was? Her husband, exactly. So when she prays with her head uncovered, she is dishonoring her spiritual head. Her husband, again, that's not language that people like to hear. The spiritual head of the woman, the glory of the woman is the husband. But that's what Paul's talking about. 
You see, a woman's head covering in the Corinthian culture indicated that she was a married woman. Wherever she went, she'd be going out with her head covered to indicate she was a married woman, a woman who also uh, practiced modesty and purity in relationship to her husband. That is how she honored her husband. But if she went out uncovered or went to even a, a worship gathering of God's people, the church, she would be dishonoring her spiritual head, her husband. Why was that? Well, to be in public as a married woman without a head covering meant I'm available sexually. It meant she was immodest. It meant she was immoral. A married woman with an uncovered head was not bringing honor to her husband. They were married, but she was acting in an immoral way, making herself available for any who were interested. In fact, in the, in the Roman culture, they would say that if a woman was raped and she's a married woman, didn't have her head cover on, she was asking for it. That's the way it was in that culture. To be married and to remove your head covering would obviously dishonor your husband. Why in the world, you might say, would a Christian woman come to a worship gathering like that? They knew as a married woman. They knew. Well, Galatians chapter 3, and you can look at those verses, write this down. Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 to 28, Paul talks about what they were as individuals before Jesus Christ and before salvation. Verse 28, but after in Christ Jesus, after faith has come, Verse 28, Galatians 3, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, there it, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ. As believers, men and women, we are one in Christ. We are equal. That same value before God. That's what Paul is talking about. And so a woman would come. They had been set free in Christ. They were one in Christ. But still there were social and cultural implications to that head covering. And yet the woman thought, well, we're free. We, we don't, we, we're let go of the bondage of the uh, 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 Old Testament system of the law. That's not necessary. And Paul is saying, no, but it's still culturally necessary. That is still how you would be viewed even in a, a worship gathering of God's people. So the implications are you need to continue to keep your head covering. And Paul also spent, that's why he spent time discussing in these verses, marriage. It would also seem to indicate uh, in, in the culture of that day, in fact, we can read some secular historians that were also saying that um, they were, there were probably some women here that were just rejecting the Christian way of doing things. Why? Because they were in that culture. They had been saved. They were new believers coming out of that culture. And this was a hard thing. And when they heard about this, it was like, we're not sure. We're going to push back. Also, the, the language Paul uses at the end of this text in verse 16 about being contentious would indicate there were probably some women who were pushing back against the need to wear a head covering. 
Verse 6, or if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. And it was. It was a disgrace. A woman who was found guilty of adultery would have her head shaved. That's what they would do to indicate her sin. So it wasn't the way. It would be a shame to her. And that's what Paul is talking about. Now, if she was, had her head shaved, her hair cut off, because we'll see later that the hair is the glory of the woman, right? But culturally, that's not true today. What do you typically think if you see a woman with no hair? Cancer, right? That's what we think. And we're not going to think, oh, She's an immoral woman. No, we wouldn't think that. But because there's a cultural difference today than there was then in Corinth. And so as Paul goes on, verse 7, a man ought not to cover his head since he's the image and glory of God, but a woman is the glory of man. Boy, he just keeps digging that hole. Wow. Wow. A man ought not to cover his head. Now, Paul already talked about that. But here now he's pointing to the fact that the man is the image and glory of God. Verse 27 of Genesis 1. We read, so God created mankind. Mankind. That's man and woman. In his own image. In the image of God, he created them Male and female, male and female, he created them. Man and woman were created in the image of God. But Paul says here, man, since he's the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. Now, both man and woman were created in God's image. But Paul's not saying the woman wasn't. We just read Genesis 1 to know that he was, she was created in the image of God. But Paul's point is about the relationship of the husband and wife. And so he's making the point. He's repeating what he said in verse 3. And it's not a negative statement about a woman because he didn't say that she's created in the image of God. But he's pointing out the fact that she is the glory of man, her husband. An honorable woman is a source of praise to her husband. And that husband-wife relationship is a beautiful thing as God designed it. God's plan for marriage. And that Paul is stressing here that woman is the glory of man. Verse 8, for man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Oh boy, here we go. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. It is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head because of the angels. Where'd you get that, Paul? <laughs> well, Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 20. And if you have, if you're writing these down, read, following them along, you can turn to them. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 20. I think I have a slide for this one. But, Paul, but the, the, Moses says, so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. I just said Moses. Folks, I, I remembered as I listened to my messages last week that I misspoke. I said that the nation of Israel around them asked Moses, we want to be just like the other nation. Now, it wasn't Moses, it was Samuel. And I know you all wrote that down, right? 
No, but it bothered me. I had to say, I got to straighten that one out, man. Anyway, verse 20. So the man gave names to all the livestock. This is Adam naming all the animals in the Garden of Eden. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found, verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Verse 23. Two. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. That's what Paul says. That's where it came from. This is Bible truth that the man did not come from the woman, but woman came from man. There it is. And ladies, you do know you have an extra rib, one more rib than men have, right? I think you learned that in 10th grade biology or 11th grade physio anatomy. I don't know. But, but yeah, that's, that's what we know. So verse 24 then, as we look at this, uh, do, do I have verse 24? No, 23 it ends. So this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, for she was taken out of man. That's what Paul's talking about. Now listen, man was incomplete. Man needed help. And all the ladies said, well, guys, maybe you're better off than I thought. <laughs> yeah, man needed help. So God gave him woman to compliment him, to be his completer. Man, we needed help. Men, we're in trouble without our wives. And all the men said, or the husband said, amen. Yeah, nice and loud. <laughs> Fellas, I'm sorry to say it, but without our wives, we're, we're not complete. I'm not sorry to say it. I'm, I'm glad with our wives, we are complete. God has given us, he's completed us, he's complimented us by our wives. That's what he's talking about. The woman became man's compliment. Wow. A woman ought to have authority over her own head, Paul continues. This is one of those difficult texts. And I've landed on this just exactly how the NIV translates it. She has the authority to choose to wear the head covering so that there's no question as to her giving honor to her own husband. As it says, a woman ought to have authority over her own head. She ought to have the control to choose to wear that head covering because she chooses to wear that. She is going to honor her husband. That's what Paul's been saying. And she makes that choice willingly. Not because Paul said I had to, right? But that's what Paul's talking about. Now, and then at the end of that chapter, or verse uh, says that because of the angels... What in the world? One of the commentators I read actually said this. This is more complicated, if not completely baffling, than what he said before. <laughs> completely baffling. Folks, what does it mean? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Now, there's a lot of ideas. There's a lot of interpretations. There's a lot of suggestions. But there's questions on every, every interpretation, every possible interpretation has problems. If you were to ask me where I land, I would land on the fact that in 1 Peter chapter 1, when Peter is talking about 
of salvation and how the angels desired to look into those truths. I, I think th that the angels are overlooking us. And I think there is a truth about that. That has some issues, but that, that's a tough one. So you're going to have to dig into that and, and see what you come up with. I'd love to hear it. Uh, I read one book that probably had six or seven pages with all of the possibilities. And then he's the guy at the end that says, this is just completely baffling. I don't know which one it is. And I'm like, okay, this guy knows a lot more than me. If he doesn't, no wonder I can't figure it out. I've been saying to Jane all week long, I just don't get this. Verse 11 and 12, nevertheless in the Lord, the woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as a woman came from man, so also man is born of woman, but everything comes from God. Okay, ladies, now Paul is raising up in your, uh, I'm sure, estimation now. He just wants to make sure that he's not misunderstood. That Paul is not devaluing women in what he already said. He is just proclaiming the truth of what God had said and taught. Man and woman, husband and wife are mutually dependent on each other. That's what we call interdependence. When, when we read there that uh, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman, husbands and wives, pay attention to that. I, I, can, I, I, I fault there at times. Sometimes it can be all about me. Husbands and wives, if you've been married any length of time, you know how sometimes it can be just all about you, right? We are the center, and that's not what Paul is teaching. We are, each inter we are dependent upon one another. We are interdependent. Neither man nor woman can exist. Husband or wife cannot exist without each other. That's what Paul's teaching. That's oneness in marriage. We are one. And God is the source of it all. Paul summarizes in verses 13 to 16. We looked at verse 13 as the statement of the issue. So he says, verse 13, judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered <clears throat> in, a, in a gathering of God's people at a, at a worship time, a worship service together? Is it proper for a woman to pray with her head uncovered? That's a rhetorical question. So the answer is, as Paul already made the argument, no. It is not proper. It's just common sense. That's the, that's the argument that he's made. You judge for yourselves? Come on. Is it proper? And he's, you can almost hear him saying, going, no. No. That's how he wants. No, it is not. And for the reasons we've already shared, Verses 14 and 15, does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him, but if the woman has long hair, it is her glory? What's going on here? We're talking about, when it says does not nature, the very nature of things, we're not talking about nature itself. We're talking about the society, the way the society or culture understands things to be normal or natural. That's what he's talking about. It was the cultural norm 
And he's saying, does not the cultural norm teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? And in Corinth, it was. That's why when you saw Caesar Augustus, he had short hair. That's what the men typically did. Now, there were some who had longer hair. And typically, the, even again, the secular historians many times, and there's not a absolute proof on this, but they would write about men with longer hair were acting more effeminate. And then women with shorter hair were acting more masculine. Now that was some of what was going on historically, culturally at that point. I wish I had time to go on and tell you stories about verse 14 because when I was in high school, that's when long hair, you know, the Beatles started. And that's when guys in high school were growing their hair long. Now it's like, who knows, long, short, in between, whatever. It's all over the place, right? So, but that's not what it's talking about because this was a cultural thing. For long hair is given to the woman as a covering. And Paul's not talking about hair. He's using it as an analogy for the covering that he just taught about. The woman should have a covering. The man should not. And he's saying in the normal cultural truth, this is the way men didn't have long hair covering, women did. And then he says, if anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. This is what the churches practice. That's the way we do things. Now, sometimes that's not a good thing when there's not biblical basis and truth. But that's what was going on. And Paul gave all the value and reason. So what does all this mean? I have three concluding statements for you. So number one, God is the design for marriage. Different roles for women, different roles for men. God has designed marriage. He has a plan, a strategy. He has a pattern. And that's what he's talking about. Different roles for women Different roles for men. The man's role is leadership. He needs to be, the woman's role is completion. The man's role is to love his wife. The woman's role is to respect her husband. And men, make it easy. You must make it easy for your wife to follow your leadership. Because the illustration in Ephesians 5 that the husband is giving as to how he is to treat his wife is how Christ loved the church. So when I say, men, you need to make it easy for your wife to respect you and to honor you by the way you live as Christ loved the church. The Corinthian culture head coverings identified a woman's acceptance or rejection of God's design for marriage. That's what was happening. And Paul is saying, women, you need, to, you, you need to follow God's design here. But understand this, that's different to, than it is today. That's not the case today. That's why women, it's okay, you're fine. Not that you're sitting here worried, I hope, that we're going to hand out head coverings next week. Because that's not part of our culture. That's not where we are. God's design for marriage is what we're talking about. Secondly, God has given each of us our own sexual identity. Each of us were created in the image of God. We're told in the image of God, we were created male and 
female. God chooses our identity. Did you hear me? That is not left up to anybody's choice. The individual, the parents, the medical world, no one. God created male and female according to his plan. Do not blur the distinction between the sexes. God doesn't. Thirdly, do all to the glory of God. Christ is our head. Everything comes from God. Do all. That's how Paul ended chapter 10. Whatever we do, we do to the glory of God. He was saying that to the Corinthian women who needed to wear head coverings. He was saying that to the Corinthian men who should not wear head coverings. Do all to the glory of God. Now, I've gone long. We'll deal with this as we move through the rest of Corinthians, but when I told you we need to be able to answer the question, how do we know if it's just cultural or if it's still for today? Because I'm going to say to you, this was cultural. Its culture is different than it was when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, the occasional letter. And so there's no need, women, for you to wear head coverings. That's not the issue. But how do we know in these other areas? How, how do we understand that? And, and, and we'll, pick, we'll, we'll cover these issues as we move through the remainder of 1 Corinthians together. Um, I, we'll leave it at that. I trust that you will learn to study scripture on your own. If you only open your Bible or scroll on your phone or tablet on Sunday morning at 9.30, you will not come to an understanding of these truths. You, you won't. Nor will you be able to answer then the question, how do I know? So I would challenge you to dig Dig into the word of God on your own. You're not going to find a verse or a chapter or a book that says, here's how you know if this truth is cultural or not. Cultural or eternal. Timeless is a word that we use. And that's what we're looking for. Timeless truths. All right. Paul talked about in the beginning of chapter 11 when he's talked about marriage and God's order for marriage. That is timeless. Why? Because it goes all the way back to the book of Genesis and the truth is there. That was God's design, which never changed. It was not a cultural issue. It was God's design pattern for marriage. You dig into the scriptures to see how you understand and figure out how do we know if that's for today or if it was just a cultural thing that was done a couple thousand years ago. Let me pray. Father, we live in such a confused, distracted world. 
culture. And for those of us who know and love Jesus, we're getting fewer and fewer. And the culture around us is changing quickly. Things that we don't like, things that we don't believe. God help us to know, first of all, what scripture says so that we don't adjust what we believe based on what the culture says. Oh God, help us to know you and to know your truth and to live it. And when we come in contact with people who take a different position, oh God, help us. Not to fight and argue. But to dig into scripture. And to together study. To see what you say. For the glory of God. For it's in Jesus name I pray. Amen.